This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, this is Sharmila Ganesan and Sharad Kutin. Tonight, we continue our series of shows in line with Merdeka and Malaysia Day that imagine what Malaysia might be like in 100 years. Demographic trends suggest that our country is heading towards a larger percentage of Malay Muslim Malaysians than previously. What does this mean for multiculturalism in Malaysia? And what impact might it have on our society and our and government policies? So tell us, how would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08 and let me just say from the get-go that uh, this is part of a sort of speculative series of conversations that we've been having, right, Um, in terms of what Malaysia might evolve to be based on some key factors that we're seeing today. So among the things that we know about our demographics, if we look at um, statistics from the stats department, um, our birth rate is increasing, but specifically it is increasing amongst the uh, Malay community as well as the, uh, in the larger sense, the Bumiputra community. So Malays accounted for the majority of the total birth uh, total births in the second quarter of last year, 68.4%. This was followed by other Bumiputras, 12.9%. Um, This is, of course, being, um, on the other hand, contrasted by, while we don't have specific numbers, an increase in migrations, um, migrations amongst particularly other communities, Indians and Chinese, as well as others. So um, I think this has led to a sort of interesting conversation about what Malaysia's future would look like if we started becoming less of that multicultural um, society that we like to pride ourselves to be. Yeah, or a different type of multicultural mm. society, right? So the, um, the the ratio is one issue. The, the question of where we're distributed across the federation is another issue. Of course, when we talk about demographics, things that we have often talked about, Shamila, uh, on BFM is the question of an aging society. That also plays into questions of policy and, dem- and uh, public policy, especially around health. But we're looking at, say, the next uh, 80 years, right, taking us up the 100, end, 100 yeah. years, right? So beyond the end of the 21st century into the 22nd century and saying, what do these long-term trends uh, do? Can we anticipate them and can we prepare for them so that the outcomes are the most positive possible? So I did want to add that, of course, one um, piece of this conversation uh, is the, uh, which we can observe from the, the latest rounds of election, of course, is the so-called green wave. So um, are we, is that perhaps one factor? If if we're talking about an increase in the Malay Muslim population, um, 
what kind of a, a sort of what kind of values are we going to see the country also moving towards? Is it more uh, perhaps towards conservatism? Is it going to be a more liberal brand of values that the country is going to see? So these are all, I think, interesting conversations to have as we, um, like you said, Sharat, look towards what Malaysia might be. Uh, but we would like to hear from you. How would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be speaking with Dr. Johan Saravanamutu, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at USM, uh, as well as a senior fellow at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM eighty nine point nine. Because friends matter. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.12. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We are talking about what Malaysia might look like 100 years in the future if um, if demographic trends continue to hold and we see an increase in the number of Malay Muslims in the country. Um, so we would like to hear from you. How would you feel if Malaysia becomes less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country for you? You can call 7732900, send us a voice note or or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Dr. Johan Saravanamutu, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at USM, also Senior Fellow at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. Dr. Johan, good to have you with us. Hi, good evening. Hi, Hi, Shamila. Could you help us first understand how the balance of Bumiputra and non-Bumiputra populations uh, historically, especially in Peninsula Malaysia, has shaped our politics as well as other forms of social and cultural accommodation? Well, I'm not exactly a demographer, but, you know, I think you you pointed out earlier in your introduction that uh, the Muslim population in in Malaysia, sorry, the Muslim population in Malaysia is now around 60 to 61 percent. Uh, and the other Bumiputras would be also from Sabah and Sarawak uh, would also add to the numbers in terms of Bumiputra. Uh, but if you're looking at the splits between Muslims and non-Muslims, uh, then I would say it would be about 40, 60, thereabouts. Uh, so essentially, uh, it's not a terribly different picture uh, in, the, in the future. We will still have a very significant, uh, very significant numbers in terms of uh, the non-Malays, the Chinese population and the uh, Indian population. Uh, But there will also be a significant number of new immigrants. Now, currently they are not uh, citizens. Uh, You know, the estimates of um, foreign workers or migrant workers in Malaysia is something like 7 million. So I'm not sure exactly, but the last statistic that I read uh, showed that they were around the same numbers as Indians in Malaysia today. Joel, I just wanted to ask you if we could just extend that discussion to, yeah. the, as you as a political scientist and somebody who's observed the way Malaysian society has, you know, kind of evolved over decades, the idea of accommodation, that taking yeah. into consideration the fact of our multicultural nature, uh, what forms of political and social accommodation do you think have evolved that we need to be looking at uh, to preserve or to change as things develop? Right. So, so you know, my work has been on power sharing uh, in a divided Malaysia. I mean, we, are, we take it as a, you know, a fact. Uh, Malaysia is divided <clears throat> along ethnic lines. And that power sharing model actually has been there since, uh, you know, independence. Uh, we've had alliance, uh, the alliance party, uh, the alliance coalition. 
And subsequently, we've had the BN, so we've had those kinds of coalitions all the way until now. Uh, we have the PH uh, BN, very interesting development in politics, uh, unity government. So they are multi-ethnic coalitions. Now, I think people are a bit uh, anxious about the recent election results. The, uh, the you know, I'm talking about the GE15 and also the uh, state, uh, the six state elections, which saw a, a, a quite a significant shift of votes to the other coalition that has just been formed not so long ago uh, between the uh, Bersatu Party and, and PAS, right? And that's party, that, that coalition is predominantly Malay or Muslim. Although they have Gerakan in there, but uh, in terms of the actual composition, in terms of the seats that they contested for and the ones that they actually won, a very large number in the state elections, much more than the uh, the PH, uh, they are essentially representing a more mono-ethnic, I think, kind of a shift uh, in Malaysia's political landscape. So that creates, I think, some angst uh, among non-Malays uh, and even the Bumiputra communities, especially, I would say, the uh, non-Muslim Bumiputra communities of Sabah and Sarawak. So that's the kind of politics that we are seeing, the shifting landscape, and the push, you know, some people say, for more Islamism. Uh, and, it, you know, some people are talking about Islamic State and so on. Uh, that's the kind of uh, the, the scenario that people are talking about uh, in the future of Malaysia. Yeah, so these concerns around an increase in conservatism. And, and, and to be honest, this isn't something that's only happening in Malaysia. We see it globally in, in many other countries as well. It might be tempting to assume that an increase in Malay Muslims in Malaysia will also mean a shift towards being a more conservative society. But is this necessarily the case? Um, what are the different factors that might influence this? Yes, I, I, I also looked at the, you know, the expanding middle class in Malaysia. So along with uh, the shift uh, demographically uh, to a more, you know, uh, um, uh, more, more Muslims in, in, in proportional terms, I think we can also see a shift in terms of the, the class you know, configuration of society. And I've been studying the middle class a fair bit. Uh, and I, you know, the middle class has grown tremendously among the Bumiputras. Uh, when they were next to nothing in the past, you know, at the point of independence and down the, to the 70s and 80s. So they have become a significant uh, factor in, in, in politics. And generally, I would say that the middle class is a class that is usually quite rational in terms of its, uh, you know, its orientations, its tendencies and so on. Uh, and also, I made the, you know, I stuck my neck out uh, in some debates about the middle class to say that they have a kind of politics. Uh, and the kind of politics that the middle class tends to go for is the kind of politics that uh, um, most people like. That's <laughs> that kind, kind of democratic kind of politics. So that kind, I think, of uh, scenario, I think, is still uh, very possible in Malaysia. However, uh, there's no doubt that we've seen a rise in religiosity uh, in Malaysia, particularly among Muslims. And I, I would say it's probably true for non-Muslims as well. Uh, so there's always this uh, this push uh, for a, a more, uh, in the case of the Muslims, uh, a greater level of Islamization in Malaysia. Now, let me let me say, say from the outset that this has been an ongoing thing. It's not something new. Uh, from 1981, I think, when Mahathir was a prime minister, uh, he, he, he had begun an Islamization policy. 
Uh, and so the, 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 the progress or the advancement of Islam in, in terms of its uh, embed, you know, being embedded within Malaysia has been an ongoing thing, along with even Islamic finance, uh, which has become a very uh, pervasive thing in Malaysia. But this is not necessarily a bad thing for Malaysia. I think it's a, a fairly good development uh, because uh, it allows for a very important section, a large section of the Malaysian population to enjoy the kinds of things that think, they think are necessary for their kind of social life. You know? So, uh, And Malaysia basically remains a secular state because that's what our constitution states, right? Uh, Malaysia has you know, freedom of belief. Uh, there's Article 11 in Malaysia which says you know, the different ethnic groups are free uh, to carry out and, 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 do, and, and have their own religions as long as they do not proselytize uh, to Muslims. So, that's the, so as long as that sort of uh, uh, rules of the game, those sorts of rules of the games hold, I think we are okay. We will be, we'll, be, we'll, we'll see the same kind of uh, power sharing that we've seen in the past uh, in Malaysian politics. I wonder if you could just extend that and, and help us understand if there is a way of bringing a kind of comparative perspective to what we see happening in Malaysia. Can we look at it in Indonesia and its diversity, the fact that it's actually a major Malay Muslim, uh, sorry, major Muslim nation, a majority nation, uh, other Muslim nations around the world and their kinds of politics. Can it be instructive for us? I think they, they can be. Uh, I think uh, if you look at Southeast Asia, uh, as opposed to the Middle East, you know, I mean, uh, Muslim populations uh, are, are very um, monolithic in, in the Middle East. But in Southeast Asia, we have a very different sort of an environment in terms of the ethnic spread uh, of uh, different sorts of communities. And, and Southeast Asian Muslims are very different uh, from the kinds of Muslims that you get in the Middle East. So if we take the case of Indonesia, Indonesia is a Pancasila state, which means to say, uh, uh, you know, to put it uh, in, in different uh, in different language, it, it recognizes recognizes multiculturalism, and indeed, it does have a very diverse uh, uh, population of different sorts of uh, you know uh, inclinations in terms of uh, uh, religion and so on, including Bali, which is a Hindu uh, you know uh, an island which is uh, basically predominantly Hindu. Uh, that said, of course, Indonesia uh, is about 80, so I think about 80 percent Muslim uh, or, or a little bit more. So uh, there has been some uh, pressure to have Islamic uh, laws, uh, Islamization as well, you know, similar to what we, we see in Malaysia. So what is happening in Indonesia is you have this, uh, the province of Aceh, uh, which is, uh, which is uh, you know, uh, in Sumatra. Now, they actually have uh, what we would call uh, criminal uh, Sharia law, you know, uh, the rest of Indonesia doesn't have. So on top of the the the, 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 the laws, the civil, you know, let's call it civil uh, uh, laws that uh, are prevalent in Indonesia. In the in the case of Aceh, they also have uh, these uh, criminal uh, laws, which PAS has been calling for in Malaysia, right? PAS has been calling for it. The the bill uh, three five five, which is the Hudud bill. Uh, they've been asking for this. Uh, and in fact, if you look at um, Kelantan and Trungano, in 1993 and in 1999, both uh, states under PAS passed some of these laws. You know, they actually uh, you know, had a uh, hearing of these laws and they actually carried them through the uh, state assemblies. But they, of course, not implemented uh, because 
the federal system still remains one that is predominantly based on civil law. So, so we can see those kinds of development developments, I think, happening uh, in Malaysia in the future as well. Uh, Johan, we do have a listener who has sent in a voice note with a question, so I'm going to play it for you. This is from uh, Yokian. Do you see us assimilating in the future, like the Thais and the Indonesians? Would you like uh, to take that, Johan? Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Vision 2020 talk of Bangsa Malaysia, uh, Bangsa, you know, so that idea, of course, has been around. Uh, but frankly, I do not see us moving in that direction uh, like the Thais uh, because we have, we have basically been, uh, in terms of the kinds of politics, uh, the, the kind of politics that has underpinned Malaysia, we have remained fairly divided uh, in terms of the manner in which politi- uh, politics is articulated, right, to put it plainly. Uh, we've had a high level of ethnic peace, you know, except for the uh, May 13, 1969 uh, riots, I don't think we've had any major outbreak of violence, but we have had this consociational relationship between political parties, uh, many of which which uh, are ethnic-based. So that is the kind of, uh, you know, uh, political system that I see surviving and, and still continue to be uh, very uh, prevalent in Malaysia. That said, of course, uh, we we have been, you know, like all countries, we, we, we do want to have uh, a Malaysian uh, a Malaysian uh, perspective, uh, you know, uh, and, and of course, uh, Malaysia, we should be Malaysians first, and then, you know, our ethnic, uh, our, our different ethnic communities as a second kind of uh, identity. So the kind of identity politics in Malaysia, I think, is revolving around these kinds of things whether one consider oneself to be a Malay first and a Malaysian, uh, you know, second, or Malaysia, Malaysian first and a Malay, you know, second. So those kinds of uh, developments, I think, will continue. Uh, and I think the, the process of nation building, as we all know, is a continuing one. And it will continue to go on like that, I think, for some time to come. That's very positive, Johan. Johan, I want to ask you about assimilation, just following on Yogyen's statement, because there's some people who think assimilation is, in fact, the key to unity. And then but then you look around the world, including Thailand, where we have a problem in the Deep South, uh, you know, with uh, five million um, Malay Muslims, a Thai nationals, though, and then you look at the uh, what's happening in southern Philippines as well, and you know, uh, is assimilation something to strive for? Or should we find another model for accommodation? Yes, I think uh, you're right, Sharan. I think uh, we, uh, you know, most people have come to recognize that most uh, nations, and we call them nations, but in fact they are multicultural and polyethnic entities. So uh, that's happening in the West as well. Uh, as you, you, you rightly pointed out, uh, in, 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 in Philippines, you have, you know, uh, the South, which is essentially Muslim. And, and, and what they've done in the Philippines is a very interesting thing. They have actually created an autonomous Muslim state in the South, you know. Uh, so allowing for, for those kinds of aspirations of a particular uh, ethnic group uh, to be, to be, to be um, fulfilled, as it were. So in, in the case of Malaysia, I'll say basically we are a multicultural uh, nation consisting of uh, different uh, ethnic communities as well as national communities. And by that I mean, I'm using the expression of uh, or the, the theory of uh, 
Will Kimlicka is a Canadian political uh, theorist. Uh, you know, in most countries, you have charter societies or, or, or national groups. Like So in Canada, you would have, you know, the First Nations and so on. And of course, in the case of Canada, you would have the English and the French as well. Uh, and then you have immigrants or migrants uh, who have come over time and they, they, they form part of this whole very multicultural uh it's not a melting pot anymore, but a salad bowl of communities. So that's what people are talking about. Increasingly, societies are like that. They are salad bowls. And so as salad bowls, I think we need to be able to manage, manage them in such a way uh, there, there is a recognition of minority rights. Uh, there's a recognition of, uh, of course, majoritarian rights are always going to be there. Uh, there's, the, the idea is to, uh, to work towards inclusivity. Uh, inclusivity as as the basis of uh, of multicultural citizenship. I think that's the kind of model I think we should uh, be working towards, uh, rather than the assimilationist one. So we will continue the conversation after this with Dr. Johan Sarvanamutu, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at USM. We're talking about uh, if Malaysia continues to increase its population of Malay Muslims, what does that mean for our future? What will Malaysia of 100 years from now look like? We would like to hear from you. How would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018. 789 Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this, so keep it here. BFM 89.9. Beating fickle mindsets. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It is just coming up to 6.38. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We are continuing our conversation on Malaysia 100 years in the future, specifically um, what if uh, Malaysia becomes a more monocultural society, given the uh, continuing increase of the Malay Muslim community, the rates of migration and so on? What does that future look like? So we're asking you, how would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Johan Saravanamutu, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at USM. Uh, so Dr. Johan, just to pick up where we left off, off. Now, right. when it comes to the political situation, observers um, have been, of course, noting the gains that the past-led Perikatan National has made in recent uh, both federal and state elections. And uh, this is being chalked up to a, a sort of deeper cultural shift rather than just the current cultural dynamics. Do you agree? Uh, they could, one could look at it that way. I mean, but uh, if you look at the uh, popular vote, uh, it's about the same, actually, about 50-50. Uh, you know, the uh, PN uh, coalition versus the uh, national unity one. Uh, but uh, as, as you say, uh, as I said earlier, in terms of the kind of support that they got, uh, if, you, if you broke down the, the voting, it's quite clear that the Malay vote went very clearly in the direction of the PN. So there is that kind of shift. But these shifts may not be permanent uh, because, you know, every election you see certain sort of developments. Uh, so... Uh, it may not be something that is, it could be something that is ephemeral uh, it, or it could be something that's not long-lasting. And societies do change over time. Uh, and I think basically Malaysia would remain a, a multicultural uh, society. And uh, as, as long as we stay, stay with the principle uh, which is now, uh, you know, touted as, uh, as the 
the fundamental policy or the basic policy of the current unity government, um, Malaysia Madani. Uh, that's the, the one that uh, uh, Anwar is talking about, the six principles, which is basically a premise on, on, on respect for the different communities, uh, minorities and, and their rights, the different religions, uh, giving a fair play to the Sabah, Sarawak uh, entities. Uh, we have joined Malaysia later in the day and, and therefore they will be given more time to to arrive at the same kinds of uh, developments we want to see, uh, you know, progress in the country. So that kind of approach, I think, uh, would make for a much more uh, uh, peaceful, uh, much more uh, harmonious uh, relationship among the races in Malaysia. John, you know, we um, we have about five minutes left with you, um, but I, I do want to ask you, you know, when you kind of think about the long-term future, the future of your grandchildren, uh, what do you think we should be attentive to in terms of the deeper dynamics? Not the present uh, crisis and things that people complain about, but what are the deeper dynamics you think we should focus on? Yes, I think uh, you, you put it well, Sharad. I think uh, deep, in terms of the deeper dynamics, uh, we will see a, a continued uh, modernization. I mean, you, you will not be able to you know, stop that uh, development. Uh, this has been ongoing uh, in Malaysia. And as already mentioned, the, the rising middle class. Uh, and, and in that sense, uh, you know, you see society moving in a, in a direction in which uh, it, it wants to see progress. Uh, my, I would like to see my grandchildren, for example, enjoying the kinds of things that uh, we see people enjoy in, in, in the more developed societies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's the kind of de development I think that would be good for society as a whole. Uh, so the, 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 uh, the, the impetus to move in the direction in which we are becoming more uh, capable in terms of our uh, uh, human capital, uh, that's one, and miseducation, uh, you know, is it proof uh, our standing uh, in the world is uh, better uh, and we are able to participate uh, internationally uh, in all kinds of, uh, of, of environments uh, or all kinds of uh, arenas, uh, including, of course, uh, become, becoming uh, economically very viable uh, in the future. That's the kind of uh, society I would like to see in the future. Just to follow up on that, uh, do you think Saban Sarawak provide a different lens uh, on the question of multiculturalism and how might this uh, fit into the larger tra trajectory, the long-term trajectory of Malaysia? They do provide a very different uh, because uh, lens uh, because they are uh, they're, they're basically culturally different and, and their histories are somewhat different from that of the peninsula states, right, as you know. Uh, and they are much more diverse uh, in terms of communities. I mean, uh, you, you can count tens of different ethnic communities uh, in Sabah and in, in, in Sarawak. Uh, you know, uh, so, so the Bumiputra communities, which are actually the uh, original communities of those two entities, uh, uh, are themselves very diverse. And so that, uh, that sort of uh, uh, persona of these, these two states, I think, would give Malaysia a very unique, uh, Malaysia as a whole, a very unique, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, a status. And, and it would actually provide a kind of balance uh, for uh, 
the the developments that are going on the going on on the peninsula side. As as we know now, in terms of politics, uh, the government in power in the federal level uh, seems to always have to depend on getting support from Sabah and Sarawak, and this is a very good thing. So, in in a sense, one could say that Sabah and Sarawak do have a kind of veto over the kinds of policies, over the kinds of direction in which Malaysia will move uh, in the future. So just to close off, um, since Merdeka, we've always maintained that our multiculturalism is our biggest strength. So if Malaysia were to become less multicultural, how would that affect the spirit or the personality of our country? What would we lose as a nation if we lose that sense of multiculturalism? My my, my my whole thesis was to say that we won't lose that, but let's say that sort of thing happens, as you know, and we can say that uh, becomes more mono-ethnic, uh, monocultural, uh, then then we lose a very important dimension of, uh, of, of this uniqueness of Malaysia, right, uh, which is a country which is diverse. I've just checked uh, recently, uh, we are among the most uh, diverse countries in the world, I think 59 or something in, in, the, in the table. Of course, there are many more countries that, which are diverse as well. Uh, so that unique personality, you might say, of the country will, will change uh, tremendously. But what is important now, I think, is to, to preserve and, and to conserve uh, those uh, identities and to, to, to ensure uh, that at some point in time, of course, we all hope that we do not think of ourselves as, uh, you know, Malays, Chinese, Indians, Abidayu, Ibans, and so on. We just call ourselves Malaysians. So at some point of time, maybe that sort of thing uh, will occur. And that, that would be my hope uh, for, uh, for Malaysia. Johan, thanks for speaking with us today. You're welcome. That was Dr. Johan Sarvanamutu, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at USM, also a senior fellow at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. Uh, let us know, how would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this for your messages, so keep it here on Inside Story. BFM 89.9. Be free, Malaysia. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It is 6.47. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been talking about a um, a little bit of a speculative future for Malaysia. Uh, resting on the premise of if our current statistics, um, our demographics holds true, which is that we are seeing an increase in the number of Malay Muslims. Um, and we are also seeing um, migration out uh, amongst Indians and, and Chinese and so on. Are we talking about a less multicultural Malaysia in the future, let's say 100 years in the future. So that's the premise at which we've been talking about. What would that Malaysia look like? So we are asking you, how would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with a voice note that's come in. This is Ahwat. I think Malaysia is a really unique and the only country in the world where people from different ethnicity, culture or races live together and identify as one. In which part of the world do you have this? And for this, we have our first Prime Minister, Tunku Abdul Rahman, to thank for because that is his vision for Malaysia. 
people talk about assimilations, but what is assimilations? The Chinese in Thailand, they still carries their Chinese name. Officially, they have an, a Thai name, but behind the scenes, they do have a Chinese name. It's the same in Indonesia. And they still identify themselves as a Thai Chinese. I, I think Malaysians in general are, are peaceful with each other. Doesn't matter your races or your ethnicity or your culture. But what actually pulls us apart is politicians using these issues to gain support and to stay in power. So what we need to do now is not so much about assimilations but more to er how to eradicate these politicians that uses three R's issues to stay in power and to gain support. The multiculturalism in Malaysia has actually given us an advantage. We are exposed to so many different way of thinking that it actually helped us to grow as one, as a Malaysian. Aho, thank you for that. Um, you know, I there are lots to pick up on what you said. I just wanted to say that that, that your last point is something I've always agreed upon, whether on an individual level or as a nation. The fact that you grow up in uh, a country like Malaysia, where the multiculturalism is not necessarily just segmented into people living in different neighborhoods and not seeing someone else who speaks a different language, but in fact, it's in our schools and in our streets and in our shops and in our restaurants. I think that's something that has shaped many of us in a particular way. It's certainly given me an advantage as a person and I would extend that to say it has given our country an advantage as well. Yeah, I think as a matter of faith, we you know we we sign up to the idea of multiculturalism. But I would say that you know that there are in fact many countries where different groups of people come together and live, and I can name any number of them. Uh, some that are historically mixed, like in India, uh, where you have you know dozens of languages that are all recognized, or uh, you have a country like the U.S. where it's migration over the last couple of centuries that have created this multicultural melting pot. I mean, they all call themselves American, but if you look uh, at any kind of like even in the credits of a movie, you will see all kinds of names, right? Um, um, and so I, I think that other countries, and this may be a lesson for us, is we look to other countries, see how do they deal with di their diversity? What models do they use? And I, I certainly think that, um, interestingly enough, Assimilation is often seen by some segments of this uh, Malaysian society as a solution and others see it actually as quite uh, threatening because assimilation means we don't respect the differences that we have. Um, I'm actually very wary of using the term assimilation because it entirely depends what one might mean, right? Because um, having family that lives in, in many different places, including Australia or the US, often in those contexts, again, depending on which part of even those countries you live in, assimilation might mean you can't bring your own food to school because people will laugh at you and therefore you learn very quickly um, to eat the food that other kids eat, right? Assimilation might mean you don't dress the way your family might, you know? So there are lots of things that get chipped away um, from the uniqueness of different cultures in the name of assimilation. So I tend not to be the biggest fan of that model of multiculturalism. Uh, but I do think, though, that 
what works for one country doesn't always work for another, particularly because patterns of migration are different. Uh, the, the makeup of people are also different. And, you know, it's interesting because Dr. Johan also pointed out that we have new migrants who are now a part of Malaysia. Um, and certainly how we thought of migration 30 years ago and how we think of migration now is not the same. Yeah. And, you know, this is, a, I think, a game that's been played by nations over the last couple of years, right? Uh, you want to form a nation and then you find there's all kinds of diversity and they think, well, we need only one language. And so so the one thing becomes the the trope in, uh, through which or the, uh, the, the model through which you uh, shape the nation. And so um, uh, it's a complex discussion, I think, uh, for us to have, but a necessary one when we think about the future trajectory of this country. We have, um, let's see, this voice note as well from Saiful. What happened for the next 100 years, we still don't know whether Malaysia still exists or not at that time. We never know. With the current climate change, we might just end up with Borneo. Or maybe Borneo is not there anymore, or Malaysia, smaller Malaysia at that time. And if you are talking about evolution, uh, evolution that Malaysia become monogenous, mono-ethnic, or majority pure or going for Malay Muslim. It might happen with the trending everything. For me, it's up to the people at that point what they want to do because they are the majority and this is democratic. We cannot do anything for the future that we are that is unknown. And I have a feeling in, in my dream, in my say vision, I hope Malaysia still maintain Malaysia like we have right now, with multiculture, we are rich in culture, we are rich in heritage, we are rich in storytelling because of our multiculture. Saiful, thank you for that. Well, certainly I think if you believe in democracy, uh, then it is true that uh, what the majority of people want is what should be. Yes, but I think that the I think the theory is that we're, um, at least coming out of the Western experience, is that you need to couple democracy so you don't have the, tyri the tyranny of the majority uh, with uh, liberal values and mm. a set of rights that are not... Um, uh, cannot be denied by the majorities, right? So you can't, the majority can't say, well, we'll just wipe up everybody who's not like us. I mean, just that doesn't happen. Yes. So democracy has its own checks. But what I liked about Saiful's message is that what you, when you say, Saiful, that, uh, you know, that we are rich in storytelling. And that, I think, is part of the dilemma for this government, for any government that comes into Malaysia, is how do you tell the story of Malaysia that is, in fact, inclusive? I, don't, we knew, I know we did the whole thing about history and but you know there are in fact couple I think parallel narratives about this nation and uh, the notion of multiculturalism sits differently in each of those narratives. So actually, um, because we were talking about assimilation earlier, I did want to get to this voice note that's come in uh, from Vijay. Hi, uh, my my view is that uh, in uh, 20 years time, I think uh, Malaysia will become a mono-ethnic nation. The reason being, if you can see, the population of the Indian and Chinese is continue to dwindle. And uh, the migration factor also, you can see, I mean, there's a, <coughs> there's a continuous migration from Malaysia to overseas because of uh, better opportunities and they feel like I mean, the, the rights has been uh, eroded and the opportunity given has been slim. 
so many are migrating and if you can see that our former PM Mahate is proving racial and was telling that uh, the Indian and Chinese are not estimating in a, in a Malay ways, you know, that he's comparing between uh, Indonesia, Thailand, you know, they say that uh, he was saying that the other races are already assimilate to Indonesian culture but not in Malaysia. So this type of uh, speech, you know, it, it, I mean, it really widened the gaps between the Malays and the non-Malays. Vijay, uh, thank you for that. You know, again, you're not the first one to say, um, one of our listeners earlier also talked about how the political rhetoric sometimes is what is causing some of these uh, divides or this perception of, um, you know, some people not being welcome and so on. I did want to say, though, that uh, to your point about Malaysia becoming mono-ethnic, uh, if you missed our interview earlier with Dr. Johan Saravanamutu, he, in fact, was saying that, um, at least based on his observations and studies, that that's not the future he thinks uh, will happen to Malaysia. Yeah, and I don't think the numbers bear out for a 20-year timeline for, you know, uh, for the country to become mono-ethnic. But uh, I think, Vijay, you have certain points that need deeper analysis, including the way in which we think of an Indonesia or a Thailand. So there are levels of assimilation, but um, and in both countries, I think you also saw a period of forced assimilation. But at the same time, you know, Indonesia is diverse. There isn't an Indonesian culture. In fact, Indonesia prides itself on its multiculturalism. It is the 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 motto of its of state that it is diverse. And so you will see across the archipelago, uh, you know, uh, Muslim or not Muslim, you know, a whole range of languages and things. So we can't even forget sometimes that these countries are more complex than how our politicians like to cast them. I completely agree. And actually, I think that's something I'd love to pick up on later. But we would like to hear from you. How would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country for you? You can call us. You can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. We'll be back in a bit. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Banana from Malaysia. BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. So we've been talking about um, the future of Malaysia, 100 years in the future, really. It's part of a sort of series we've been doing uh, post-Merdeka, Malaysia Day and so on. Um, And today, the premise of the show is if demographic trends continue to um, hold and the Malay Muslim community continues to grow, what would the future of Malaysia be in terms of multiculturalism, right? Um, And so we've been asking you, how would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So um, a lot of conversation around assimilation earlier, and we have a number of people uh, weighing in on this. So Andrew is saying, with the assimilation, would equality be given as well? Otherwise, it's difficult to have unity, in my view. Yeah, so I think there are different processes, right? Because you can have, and in fact, we do have, in, in a sense, in a in a core sense, equality in this country. Uh, the question of assimilation, I believe, and, and I'm no expert, right? But you look at the way 
other countries think about this, right? Australia struggles with multiculturalism as a result of uh, recent migration, post-war migration. Uh, Britain uh, struggles with it. I mean, now has an Indian prime minister. I mean, Indian in a, in, a, in a very loose sense of that word. So all countries that deal with these, uh, you know, changes in, in demographics have to decide what they want to look like, what they what is actually their core strength, and beyond the superficial questions of uh, the obvious difference in ethnicity or racial type. So we have actually to that point, um, and an, let's see, an anonymous listener saying, I'm hopeful that Malaysia in 100 years um, does not see assimilation as a Malay Muslim uh, concept, but as a mosaic of cultures and races where religion is concerned, the creator knows best. If no one believes in, if one believes in him, we shouldn't worry about bigots who want to play God because man proposes, God disposes. Uh, meanwhile, Fadzli says, I used to be a believer in assimilation. The idea of a Malaysia united under one language and identity used to be a very appealing ideal. But as I grew older, I learned more about the struggles of the Southern Thais, the Uyghurs, the Muslims in France, all of whom are being oppressed by assimilationist policies. And I came to realize that this is a tyrannical thing. I wouldn't want to be forced to give up who I am to accommodate the majority, nor would I want the communities I mentioned to do the same. Therefore, it would be hypocritical of me to want the minorities in Malaysia Malaysia to submit to absolute assimilation. Yeah, so absolute assimilation, I don't know how often has occurred in, in history, but it the the point is taken, right? And I think, Vazili, what you do is something that a lot of Malaysians don't do, which is to say, I want to, I, uh, uh, what is it? I subscribe to a principle that I want applied not just to others, but to myself too, right? So if you are in the majority, but then you sense that, that you at one point in your life, you could become a minority and how would that feel and so on and so forth. So I think that is something that sense of empathy, I think, is, is important and sometimes missing in the conversation. We also have Nicholas actually saying, I would, uh, I would argue that we've already assimilated. A Malaysian Chinese is very different from someone from China, for example, which I find an interesting way of looking at the notion of assimilation, because to me, that's more of a Enculturation. Yeah, acculturation uh, and evolution of communities as they migrate, um, a natural process of um, integration, perhaps. I, I, I don't know, but it's interesting because also I think the idea of assimilation probably does mean different things to different people. I think it does. And um, we we had historically some wonderful examples of um, hybridity, right? So there, the integration of certain elements, you take the uh, the Babas, uh, the Paraka, straight-born uh, Chinese, and how they assimilated Malay culture and language, you know, the amalgamation of Hokkien and Actually, and hold Malay. that thought, Sharad, because mm. I wanted to read Kamarun Nizam, who is saying pretty much what you are. So Kamarun is saying, if the Bumiputra is more than 75%, perhaps we can look back to uh, the Malacca time, where the Baba Nyonya culture, uh, the Mama, the Malaccan Portuguese, and so on flourished, which for me is what Malaysian assimilation should have been. So that's interesting because, and this is a really long topic, I'm not a historian, like I said, but, you know, the empires tend to uh, tended to have a very good track record generally with holding different types of cultures together. It's the nation state of the last 300 years that's had some... Uh, 
some problematic notions about how to discipline their populations internally. And that's led to a lot of problems. So, yes, yeah, in Malacca times, yeah, I mean, in, and what's interesting about the Babanian culture is they took a lot of Malay culture, but not the religion. And you take, uh, you know, the Chetis, uh, you know, so they're Hindu, but they've also assimilated a lot of um, uh, Malay culture, right? So you see in the food, you see in the dress, you see it in, in language. So what's interesting, though, about these examples also is that there is such a thing, at least to me, um, again, not a historian, but through observation, surely these are examples of a more organic process of assimilation that happened, um, you know, through trade and through migration and through marriage and so on, which is a little bit different from the state enforced ideas of assimilation that we might see in particular countries. Um, you know, even the example of Indonesia being brought up uh, doesn't necessarily hold true as the best example of assimilation because that didn't arrive comfortably for the people who assimilated. Yeah, there's a there's a very tragic history around the forced assimilation of Chinese in the 60s, I think, and 70s. Uh, and you know, and I think a lot of those ideas have largely been discarded and discredited in Indonesia themselves, uh, in, in Indonesia itself. So, um, but you know, you, I'd like to speak to an Indonesian about it. Uh, you know, um, but you're actually right when it's state directed, it's different from when it's organic. Because sometimes, you know, minority cultures or the cultures of a minority might actually have huge influence because it's charismatic. So it's not a question of numbers. It's only in democracy the numbers become important. You know, and you might be attracted. I mean, so why did the straits-born Chinese be so... Why were they so attracted to Malay culture? What was it in Malay culture that, that drew them in? No, no force by anybody, right? It was, it was the, the charisma of culture that actually was operating then. Oh, I do like the charisma of culture as a, as a concept. We will pick up the conversation after this. Uh, do weigh in. How would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. It is 7.16. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We are, we are continuing our conversation on um, a future Malaysia, 100 years in the future perhaps, um, and what that might look like. We've been asking you, how would you feel if Malaysia became less multicultural? Would that change the spirit of the country? Keep your thoughts coming. You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. Um, Let's see, so many interesting points coming in. I did want to read this from Itam. It's a little bit long, so I'm going to try and edit as I go along, but making some great points. Itam says, in 100 years, the percentages of different ethnic groups may change because of different population growth rates across ethnic groups. However, the absolute numbers of minorities should not have reduced much unless it's caused by assimilation or ex exodus. And here's what we should be aware of um, when it comes to a current danger, assimilationary pressure. Assimilation threatens not the Chinese, Indians, and not even Ibans, Bidayus, Kadazan, Dusuns, Muruts, but most smaller indigenous groups are being assimilated into mainstream population, particularly Malay Muslims. We have over 90 indigenous languages and dialects. Many are dying fast. Some languages die with decreasing speakers, like the Bataks, uh, Bataks in the peninsula. Uh, unlike in Indonesia, where the indigenous people, termed Masyarakat Adat, are respected 
promoted and helped to conserve their belief system and lifestyle. Our indigenous belief uh, systems are simply dismissed as animism or, uh, or the absence of religion, and they come under aggressive assimilation drives, sometimes assisted by public agencies that are supposed to protect them. Um, I would remind us that the need to protect our multiculturalism starts with indigenous languages and religions. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, thanks, Itam, for, for that lesson in actually the reality of, of of the kind of groups that we have here. Because often uh, when we talk about these things and the concerns of minorities, we talk about the large minorities who are, have all the resources to protect themselves, as it were, from you know, um, a more intrusive state if it, that emerges in the future. But it is the smaller groups that are not protected, and we forget that uh, their languages, and their languages are disturbing not necessarily because of design of the state, but really just uh, the shape of things, right? When you're... Now uh, because people dying out, and yeah. so the language not essentially having any speakers or, left. Or marrying into yeah. communities. I mean, so intermarriage has been very good in, in many respects, but also you might find that certain communities disappear because they marry into uh, the larger community. The Chitty community actually is also facing um, this sort of challenges, right? Because while there are people who are attempting to preserve the the community and the culture, intermarriage really does uh, erode some of the practices, especially as the older generation passes on. Um, I have, there's a lovely restaurant in Malacca that serves uh, fish roe. You know, it's a kind of like a fish roe dish uh, that I will preserve with my life. I must get the name from you. I've actually never, I, to my knowledge, I don't know if I've had proper chitti cuisine, so I'd really quite like to. Uh, Jack is saying, an interesting book I read recently that I believe every Malaysian should read, Islam in Malaysia, an Entwined History by Professor Khairuddin Aljunit. We need to remember, as history should be an act of fending off forgetfulness, at the same time an act of learning, how our forefathers built the nation. Nation building, a good long word. We need to remember what nation building means. Yeah, Jack, thank you for that. Um, we would love to have Professor Kairudin on one of these days. But, you know, and, and I think sometimes we forget that we need to take this conversation beyond the coffee shops in some sense and and do the hard work of reading the complex history that made this nation, not just the peninsula, which I think a lot of us in the Klang Valley get caught up in, uh, but the complex history that has drawn in the territories of Sabah and Sarawak as well. So um, an anonymous listener with a, a more personal experience, I suppose. Well, actually, a couple of people sharing <clears throat> sharing their own experiences with multiculturalism, perhaps not necessarily working as well as it should. So this anonymous listener goes, I'm friends with many Malay Muslims from different financial backgrounds and ages. I know a 60-year-old gardener who is now a halal man, but he took, into a, took me into a rural area to show me this Chinese shop where he used to drink toddy with all of his friends as a young bachelor. On the other hand, I have colleagues in their 30s who will refuse to carpool to lunch because they're afraid of summer. I've come to realise the old the generation of Malays were tolerant and inclusive, while the younger generation uh, seems opposite. I am afraid for the future of Malaysia. So I've heard this sort of sentiment expressed quite a bit. And I do think that sometimes there is, a, there is a tendency for this sort of rhetoric to get amplified and for these sorts of experiences to end up replacing other experiences that people might have that are more positive or more bridge building. Yeah, I, that's true, and I'm 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 sure it is not simply a generational move. And I, you know, I think that uh, while you might have felt this, uh, there is 
in the heart of many Malaysians and many communities, a kind of segregationist feeling. You know, there's a segregationist impulse. It, and it's not just in the majority. In fact, in, sometimes it's stronger in minority groups because they feel or perceive a threat to their identity. So there is a drawing of the wagons around you, the feeling of victimhood, uh, the need to... Uh, discipline people within the group and project your identity out. So that is also happening. So in many ways, everybody's reacting to everybody. Uh, and the question is, how do we find uh, the kind of middle ground for this? Uh, Shamil, meanwhile, saying, uh, being less multicultural will change our nation greatly. I worked in a mono race company before. It was horrible. So please make more babies, guys, to keep us multiracial. <laughs> really? <laughs> is, is that the solution? Well, you know, many countries are encouraging people to have more babies, to which I say provide better maternal and paternal um, benefits, and perhaps we'll see it happen. Yeah, there is a, there is a kind of naive, naive and somewhat romantic notion that, um, you know, this will kind of be the solution to the problem. Maybe it's in the way we tell stories, right? Coming back to that original point that Saiful made, I believe, uh, that, you know, we need to keep telling the stories of, of what our strengths are. And in a way that's persuasive and believable for those who are listening. And it has to happen in schools and it happens throughout our politicians. I mean, at least half of parliament believes in a multicultural future for this country, right? So that's a good start. I wanted to read a couple of um, a couple of messages that have come in that I think that do give us some food for thought in terms of this idea of multiculturalism. Firstly, uh, Zul, who says, I'm Malaysian, but lived half my life in South Africa, a country known for apartheid and segregation. However, what I experienced myself when I returned to Malaysia recently is that even though South Africa was among the countries that was late to leave the apartheid era, its multiculturalism is making waves compared to Malaysia. Maybe it's because they still feel it raw, the experiences of segregation, but I think what's helped the unity of cultures is how they have united the entire country through sports and their laid-back traditions of having barbecues together among the community and lots of community engagement among the people in general. At any event, the national anthem is sung so loud that it raises the roof of stadiums. It gives me jitters. Here in Malaysia, the anthem is good, but you rarely see people jumping up and beating their hands on their chest. Um, you know, that comparison to a country like South Africa is so interesting because we come nowhere close to having that level of uh, a traumatic history to have to contend with. Um, and to hear this kind of an experience, I think, is quite profound. Yeah, and you know, but it's the closeness to the experience. Mm. So I, I get very upset when I listen to Malaysians comparing us to um, to apartheid South Africa, saying that the, the current uh, the Malaysia today is an apartheid state, which is so contrary to every South African I've spoken to about exactly what they experience under that regime. And so, you know, so it's not only unfair and inadequate intellectually, it's a kind of disrespect, I think, to the South African experience for anybody to charge Malaysia with being apartheid. There are problems, but when that is something that we have not had to experience. Just to close off, Roberto saying, one of the things that attracted me to make Malaysia my home is precisely the opportunity to feel and experience and live with different cultures in one place. I'm not quite sure if assimilation will provide the opportunity for all these cultural expressions to be represented and to be seen and appreciated in the way that it is right now in Malaysia. Whatever it is, I love Malaysia precisely for what Sharad said, the charisma of the Malaysian culture. 
Yeah, we have something to teach the world if we get it right, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, in Patent fact, the phrase, charisma of Malaysian culture. There, there are many scholars outside. I think we don't see it because we're so deeply embedded in our own uh, experience that actually Malaysia is doing quite well when you compare it to many countries um, you know, around the world that have really broken up and Malaysia stayed together despite its troubles. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Um, we have been talking about Malaysia 100 years in the future and discussing what our demographic trends might indicate, but also what it might be in terms of multiculturalism. Keep the conversation going. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.